Good morning. Great to be out again with the family here at Fairview Park on this beautiful Sunday morning, or at least I think it's beautiful. I heard a lot of people say that it was too cold. I don't know. I thought it was perfect this morning, but we'll leave that up to preference. If you want to turn to Acts 17, that's where we'll be for the majority of this lesson this morning. And if you think about a lot of what happens in Acts, probably the first thing you think about is there's a lot of sermons in Acts. A lot of Peter and John and Paul talking about God, talking about Jesus, talking about the crucifixion, talking about the resurrection, talking about Jesus' teachings. That's all the way throughout the book of Acts. And over and over again after these sermons, you see the church just explode and just keep growing and growing and growing. But then you also see persecution rise up. And people want to fight against the growth of the gospel. Acts 17 has very little of that. Acts 17 is a story where Paul will preach a sermon, but the sermon doesn't look like a lot of what we see in Acts. Paul doesn't talk directly about the crucifixion. He alludes to it, but he doesn't call it out specifically, at least not in what we have recorded. Paul, in his sermon, doesn't directly even refer to Jesus by name at all. There is no great persecution that comes up after, but there's also not an amazing amount of growth. There's a few who believe. There's a lot in Acts 17 that doesn't look like the rest of what we see in Acts. Everything from the setting to the message to the result, all of it's kind of different than a lot of what we see in Acts. And so today, I just want to take the time to just go through the story and see why it's different and see what we can learn from it. To see why does Paul give the message that he gives? Why does it have the result it has? Because I think there's a lot in Acts 17 that we can pull from that actually mirrors our own culture, and our own involvement with evangelism today. And that's what I want to really think about. How do we talk about Jesus with others today? And hopefully Acts 17 can help us some with that. If you want to uh, read with me, we're going to start in verse... 14, Acts 17, verse 14, and we'll read down through verse 21 together. Acts 17, 14. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who, cond- uh, who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. 
So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears, and we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. And we'll stop there for now. So, Paul is kind of cooped up in Athens for a while. That's not the final destination he's trying to get to, but he's waiting for his co-workers, Silas and Timothy, to come and meet him there so they can go off preaching elsewhere. But while Paul is sort of stuck in Athens and he's walking around and seeing the city, he sees that the city is absolutely packed full of idolatry. There are just idols as far as the eye can see. There's temples and altars and statues everywhere. And it really bothers Paul. It really, really bothers Paul. The phrase that it uses is provoked him in his spirit. That's not sort of to say he was annoyed or anything like that. That is to say that he was concerned down to his core. He was troubled that there was so much idolatry and sin and false worship all around him. And so Paul starts preaching Jesus in the resurrection. First to the Jews who would have also been opposed to all of this idolatry around. But as Paul is reasoning with some of the Jews in the synagogues and in the marketplaces, some people overhear him. These people are philosophers, philosophers from multiple schools of philosophy in Athens, people who wouldn't have agreed with each other on much, but they both overhear Paul. And honestly, they don't really like much of what he has to say. They call him a babbler, they, a, a fool, a charlatan. It's sort of the, I would say, like, if we had to have a modern equivalent, I don't know, like, uh, think of, they're calling him like a carnival barker or something. Like, he's doing a lot of talking, he's making a lot of noise, but he doesn't have anything useful to say. He's just sort of running his mouth. And yet they still choose to hear him out more. They still choose to bring him to the Areopagus to hear more of what he has to say. The Areopagus, this intellectual city, or intellectual center of the city of Athens, which itself was the intellectual city of, center of the Roman Empire. This would be like bringing a carnival barker and having them lecture a whole bunch of Harvard physicists times like a million. This is a weird thing. And so you ask why? Why did these philosophers care what Paul had to say at all? And Luke gives us two keys. One, they realized he was speaking about some sort of God they hadn't heard of. 
He was preacher of foreign divinities. And that interested them. Keep that in your mind. But the second that Luke gives us is the Athenians just really liked hearing anything new. They liked engaging with new ideas, hearing something they had never heard before and debating it and arguing with it and working through it. That was entertainment to them. And so even though they didn't think very much about Paul, they didn't really expect him to have a message that was worthwhile or even truthful, they bring him to the Areopagus because, if nothing else, it'll be entertaining to hear something new, something we haven't heard before. So let's look at the sort of beginning of the sermon that Paul gives them to see how he opens with these people who are very clearly antagonistic toward what he has to say. If you want to pick back up with us, we'll be in verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This is what I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet, He is not actually very far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. And as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed His offspring. So as we talked about earlier, the Athenians are very very pagan. Very pagan. They have idols and temples and statues and altars everywhere. And we already saw from earlier in this story, Paul, because he knows the true God and he knows the truth that God does not need temples or idols and doesn't want any of those things, Paul is very troubled in his spirit. He's deeply concerned. And so maybe if we had to decide before we just read this what we think Paul would say, we would say, well, Paul knows the truth, and he knows that this is not the way you find or worship God. And Paul knows the Athenians are all sorts of sinful and idolatrous and corrupt. So what Paul's going to do is he is going to start this sermon. He is going to lay into them. He is going to get angry. He is going to chastise them. Maybe he's going to fashion one of those little cords of whips and start whipping it around. That's what Paul's going to do. He is going to tear into them for all their idolatry and sin. That's not what Paul does. Interestingly enough, Paul actually sort of starts with what they have in common in some ways. He says, I perceive you are very religious. Now that's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but what Paul is saying is, I can tell you're searching. 
I see that you are looking for truth. You are looking for God. And you're not quite sure that you found Him yet. Because you've got all of these idols, and a lot of the idols are to the Greek gods, and maybe some of the idols, are probably a lot of the idols, are to Roman gods. But you also have this altar that says, for the God we don't know yet. So you're still looking for a good and powerful God. And guess what? That's what I'm about to tell you about. And so Paul starts his sermon by sort of meeting the Athenians where they're at. He said, I can tell you are searching for a good God, and my God is the God you're looking for. My God is not a God just of one thing like lightning or love or war. My God is the God of everything. My God created everything. He controls everything all the way through history. He's not just the God of one nation or one city like Athens or Judea or anything like that. He's the God of everything. But even though my God is so much better than any God you've ever encountered. Even though my God is so amazing and powerful, He still reaches down to mankind. He desires that they seek Him, grasp for them, as Paul says. It's a very similar phrase to what Paul says that the Athenians are already doing. He says, you're searching for God. Well, guess what? My God wants you to search for Him. You're sort of already on the very precipice of the first step. Because even though my God is so powerful and so big and so great, He desires that you have a relationship with Him. Even though he doesn't need anything from you, like the pagan gods who need sacrifices just to be fed, God doesn't need any of that. Yet, he wants to have a personal relationship with you. You see how stunning the opening to this sermon is? Paul is challenging not just them uh, and their worship. Paul is challenging the very concept of what they saw as a god. Paul is saying, you're not looking big enough. The true God, the unknown God that you're searching for, is the only true God. And yet, He wants you to find Him. Let's look at the rest of Paul's sermon together. If you want to look with me, that's verses 29 through 31. Starting in verse 29. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine is being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And we'll stop there for now. 
Paul says, if you want to have a relationship with this great and amazing God, you can't do it with idols. You can't do it with sacrifices. You can't do it with gold and silver and things like that because God made all of those things for us and he doesn't really need us to give them back to him. Paul says that's not how you find God. If you are really searching for God, the way you find him isn't through idols and altars. It's through repentance. It's through laying aside all of these idols and altars and coming to him and saying, I'm sorry, we've messed up. God commands all people everywhere to repent. But he doesn't do that because he's selfish. God doesn't do that because he's needy. Notice what Paul pairs this with. He says, God desires you to repent because he has a fixed day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Now, Paul doesn't necessarily say this is Jesus here, but it's very clear that it is. Paul doesn't talk necessarily about the crucifixion here, although it's very clear that's what he's referring to. But what Paul is reaching out and saying is, God desires you to serve him and have a relationship with him, but he loved you first. He appointed this man, Jesus, to come and to serve you and save you. God isn't needy or selfish. God reached out to you and all he's asking is that you grab his hand. The message of Paul is that if you repent, God's already done, quote unquote, the hard work. God's already reached out to you to bless you and deliver you and save you. You just have to join in with Him. So the Athenians are given a choice. Do they repent and come to this God that they know very little about, that they've just heard of, the unknown God... Or do they sort of stick in their ways with what they know best? Let's finish out the story in verses 32 through 34. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we'll hear you again about this. So Paul went from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were also named Dionysus the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. The God of the Bible, Paul's God, is counterintuitive to all the pagan gods that the Athenians knew. Pagan gods were limited, not all-powerful. Pagan gods do not love or care for mankind. They're selfish. They're petulant. They definitely don't want to have a personal relationship with people or bless and serve them. And the real kicker is the Greeks don't believe that there's going to be a bodily resurrection. That is disgusting to the Greeks. You're telling me that your God, his best plan is that he's going to raise your body up? Gross. And so when they heard all of this together, that was the final straw. They said, all right, Paul, we let you talk long enough. That's too wacky even for us. That's too new even for us. And so they reject what Paul has to say. Some make fun of him like they did before the sermon. 
Some kind of stalled and said, eh, we'll hear you later about this, so let's keep in touch. And as far as we know, that never happened. But there are a small number who choose to believe. Lest we think that this story is some sort of sad story, there are those who hear Paul's words and choose to come into a faith in Jesus and a relationship with him. So that's the story of Acts 17. Let's take just a few minutes and talk about what we can learn from Paul's sermon and the way that he interacted here with the Athenians. The first thing that I really want us to see is the people of Athens were a people very different to Paul. Their morals were very different. Their worship was very different. What they cared about was very, very different. They wanted to hear something new, whether it had any truth to it or not. They wanted to serve all of the gods that anyone could possibly think of. They were more interested in arguing and debating and fancy speeches than actually having a relationship or with God or having to repent and change. They were a very spiritual people, a very religious person, or people, as Paul says, but they were devoid of a real God. And yet, Paul meets them where they're at. Paul doesn't lay into them. He doesn't say, well, here's the Hebrew Scripture you should know better. The Hebrew Scripture doesn't mean anything to these people. They have no reason to care about the Hebrew Scripture. No, what Paul does instead is he quotes their own poets to them. He said, the evidence for God is even in your writing. Even though they're sinful and idolatrous, Paul chooses to first open with the fact that they have things in common, that they are seeking truth, that they are seeking a true God that they just don't know yet. And that's what Paul chooses to focus on. Paul connected with the Athenians on a personal level. And that's not to say that he changed the truth, or that this was a sermon devoid of truth, it's an effective sermon. Because he talked to the Athenians as people. He cared about their souls enough to connect with them. Maybe you feel like this world isn't the one you grew up in. I hear that sometimes. Our morality is changing, the way we speak, the way we act is changing. In many ways, it's changing away from God's truth. It's changing away from the principles and morals of the Bible. People don't want to come to two-week-long gospel meetings anymore. If you try to evangelize door-to-door, they're going to slam the door in your face. What is the world coming to? And it's so easy to say all those things and then get bitter get hateful, to get mad at the world because the world is changing. The world's always going to change. Any society, every society, because they're not rooted on God's truth, they're going to change, and that's just the reality of the world. The question is what we choose to do about it. And here's what Paul did. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 9, 
This is the attitude that Paul took in to his sermons, that Paul took in to discussing Jesus. 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, we would say to the Gentiles, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. Having, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Paul knew the truth. The Athenians didn't. He had every reason to lay into them. They were idolatrous, evil, sinful people. And Paul uses his freedom in Christ, his knowledge of the truth, his love of God, instead to meet them where they're at. He looked at them and he said, I know you're searching, I know you're looking, here's what you're looking for. Paul spoke about Jesus in humility and love and service. And any time we speak about Jesus in anything but humility, love, and service, we've missed the point. Paul used his freedom and knowledge of Christ to serve. Because he cared enough for the Athenians, and he cared enough for everyone that he met, that he wanted them to share in the blessings of God with him. So how are we using our freedom in Christ. I know there's a lot of wickedness in the world around us. I know it feels like it's getting worse every day. Our world is obsessed with all things new. We like hearing the new thing, often at the exclusion of caring about truth. We live in a world where a lot of people don't know our God and a lot of people don't care to. And all of those things could make us bitter. Yet, we have a choice. How will we speak about Jesus? Will we show God to others in love or will we make excuses for why we should keep the truth to ourselves? Because let me tell you, Paul had all the excuses. The Athenians were awful. He had been persecuted everywhere he went. He had, he, his buddies weren't even in town yet. He had every excuse to not talk about the gospel, yet he chooses to do it in love and service because Paul desired that the blessings of God be with them. Paul saw that people were searching, and he showed them what they were looking for. So how do we use our freedom? We need to use it in service and in love. To spread the message of an all-powerful God that wants to save and bless all people eternally. Because just like hope in Jesus was radical in Paul's day, 
It is radical today, and it is radical in every day. We live in a world where people are searching. People are asking the question, what is truth? What is true justice? What is love? What is my purpose in life? People want to know. We live in a world that even if they don't know, the world doesn't know, but they are searching for the unknown God. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Because we have an opportunity to meet people where they're at and say, I can tell that you're looking for truth. You're looking for love. You're looking for purpose. I have a God who offers to give you all of those things. I have a God that wants you to seek him, that wants to have a personal relationship with you, and he wants to save you and bless you and give you life. As Christians, we have an opportunity to in-service, spread God's love, not because we want to make the attendance board look really good. We don't even have one of those here. But if we did, it's not because we want the Sunday numbers to boost up. It's not because we want everyone to join this little group, although that would be nice. What we're trying to do is spread the love of God and have others share in the blessings of God with us. That's the goal and nothing else. So we have an opportunity. We live in a world that is searching for the unknown God and we know who that God is. The question is, what are we going to do about it? We know that our God is perfect, our God is loving, and our God desires all to not perish but to be saved. That's John 3, 16 and 17. You guys can all probably quote that. So I just urge you to think about how do we talk to others? What do we do with our time? Do we help encourage others and push others to look toward God? Or do we tear people down? Because the way of Jesus, the way of Paul, the way of Acts, the way of the Bible is love and service in God. Let's pray and then be dismissed to our classes. Heavenly Father, thank you for the freedoms that you give us in Christ. Thank you for the life that you have given us. Thank you for the blessings that you give us. Thank you for the family that you have given us. Thank you for all the wonderful blessings that we have found in you. Help us not to hoard these blessings. Help us not to spitefully keep these things to ourselves, but help us to reflect your love out into this world. Help us to help others find the same freedom that we have. Help us to help the searching. Help us to aid those who are looking for truth and looking for you. Not selfishly, but out of love and out of service and out of wanting all to experience the same blessings that we do.
Father, we love you. Help us to love others the same way that you love them. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.